0: God is going to do some things here today. Uh, Mark 9, 14, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and uh, it says, and when they came to the disciples, this is Jesus and the uh, closest three of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So Jesus comes out of this. Magnificent moment of transfiguration to an argument Anybody ever got home from work and there was a fight in the house already? (laughs) Jesus comes out and, and the disciples are arguing with the scribes And immediately all the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him And he asked them what are you arguing about with them? What is going on here? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Somebody say, oh. And so they try to cast this devil out of this boy. And it doesn't work, you know, shazam, (laughs) and nothing happens. They're doing every trick they know. They're gathering around him, shaking him in the altars. (laughs) Come out! It's not working. And so the argument ensues. He says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? said bring him to me and they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth and jesus asked his father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him but listen to what he says. he says but if you can do anything somebody say anything if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If there's anything you can do, Jesus, we'd be thankful for it. We'd be happy for it. If God, if there's anything you can do about my marriage, that'd be great. God, if there's anything you could do about my kids, that would be great. God, if there's anything you could do about my sickness, that would be great. But listen to what the Lord says back to him. Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Somebody say all things. He said, Lord, if you can do anything. And Jesus said, if you can believe. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. Everything is possible to him that believeth. Everything is possible to him that believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd, that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Today, I want to preach from this subject. I want to preach what you really need. Anybody ever had someone tell you that? What you really need is. You know what you're, I I see what you're doing there, but what you really need to do. I see what you're trying to get out there, but what you really need. And so I want to preach today about what you really need. Can we just lift our hands and pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would enter this place. God, that you would minister in power and anointing to somebody's life. God, Lord, you want to change somebody's situation today, God you want to change somebody's need today, and you want to meet it in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would do it and have your way. Let our hearts receive it. And everybody said amen as you're seated. Somebody say what you really need. Now everyone knows a know-it-all. Can I get an amen? Everyone knows a know-it-all. They are the self-proclaimed experts. They are the burdened ones. The ones who have been given so much knowledge that it's their life's burden to prove that no matter the subject, they must bless the world with their seemingly endless depths of knowledge. Does anybody know someone like that? I mean, I don't, don't look at anybody right now. Don't bump anybody right now. We might have a know-it-all or two here in the house, but there's an altar of repentance today. Uh, we all have that friend or family member... And whatever way that you do it, they know a better way. Whatever food you like, they've tasted better. Planning a vacation, they know a better destination. Getting your car fixed, don't even think about it. They know what's wrong and what you really need to do to fix it. Having surgery, don't worry yourself with the pesky advice of doctors and surgeons and medical professionals who have spent half of their life in school for this. Just ask your friendly neighborhood know-it-all, and they will set you straight on what you really need. That surgeon down there doesn't know what he's doing. Some of y'all are thinking of family members right now. They are the know-it-alls, whether it's mechanical, medical, mathematical, theoretical, scientific, spiritual, physical, lyrical, or even legal. They know about it. And they will set you straight on what you really need. They don't need Google. They don't need Wikipedia. And they don't need Al Gore's internet. Because they don't have to look it up. They already know it all. <laughs> they know everything. Right? And, and, and if you don't believe them, just ask them. They'll tell you that they know everything. <laughs> Here's how you identify and know it all. Now, this is all free. This I didn't even, I'm not preaching yet. This is just free. Um, This is just free. This is how you know a a know-it-all. A know-it-all will say this single condescending, self-uplifting phrase that all know-it-alls use and know well. Whether you think you know what you need or not, whether you ask for their advice or not, they're going to tell you. Now, what you really need is this. It's a phrase we've all heard and cringed at because you are doing your best. And they came along and just dismissed it and said, no, that ain't going to work. What you really need to do is A, B, or C. And if you're a self-confessing know-it-all, like I said, the altars are open today. You can come and get it right with Jesus today. In fact, I I kind of bombed myself. I was preparing for this sermon last night and I was thinking about this. And I I, I was thinking about know-it-alls and all this stuff. And I went over and I visited adultish for a few minutes in in the FLC and they had some snacks, you know. Uh, I I just did a surprise community group inspection. Community group leaders, watch out. We'll just show up. And I walked in, and they had a bag of Tostitos. Whew, I feel my help coming. (laughs) They had a bag of Tostitos out on a table. And I walked over, and I I grabbed a Tostito, and I ate it. And I looked at Brother Craig, and, and you know what I said? I said, Craig, what you really need is the Tostitos with salt and lime. And I just bombed myself. I know it all. Food, know it all. Because I knew, he thought he knew what he needed for the party, but I knew what he really needed. (laughs) The reality is that this phrase strikes at a spiritual reality that every one of us will experience. We think we know what we really need. We think we know. You see, needs have that kind of nature. Needs Make us painfully aware of their presence. We call them felt needs because we feel them deeply. You don't have to wonder about these kinds of needs. When the pain of the problem in your life saps all of your energy, steals all of your joy, requires all of your effort, you know... That you have a need. It's the need that you know. In fact, for some of you, it's why you're in this church service today. It's because there's some pain point, some pressure point in your life that you said, I need, only God can help me with this need. This need is bigger than I can handle. It's more than I can solve. And so I need some help from heaven because I've got a need. Anybody know those kind of needs? The father in Mark chapter 9 knew that he had a need. It wasn't just a want. It wasn't just a desire. Somebody say it was a need. He felt it. Every day of his life he felt it. It was a need big enough that it drove him to look for an answer to his need. He was intimately aware of the need in his life and the life of his son. Because since the time that his little boy was just a child... He had been suffering and struggling with this spirit that had come into his life. We don't know how it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened. We don't know uh, what he did to get this demon on the inside of him. We, We have no idea. And the Bible doesn't tell us because I believe that God is not nearly as concerned with how we got the way we are that he is with meeting the need where we're at. And so we, we don't really know how it happened, but we know that from the time that he was a child, he was struggling. Listen to the father's description. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. He describes the history of the need. The father knew the need. He had done his homework on the knee. He knew the boy had a spirit that had stolen his speech. He knew the consequences of the spirit in his son's life. It all threw him into the water and into the fire. It would make him lose himself. He would grind his teeth and foam at the mouth. And if you were dealing with a kid in your household that you had to keep an eye on day in and day out to keep him from hurting himself, you know that you have a knee. It's that kind of need. It's not the kind that you can ignore. It's the kind that you live with. It's the kind that you've walked with for a while. It's the kind that you wish would get better, but you see no way out. Because the marriage is just a bad marriage. You've said that. It's just a bad relationship. There's no fixing it. It'll never change. We'll never change. We'll never get over this. The problem will never go away. The sickness will never be healed. And we've told ourselves and we've learned to live with the needs that we feel in our life. And this father was educated about his issue. It, it, it was the need that he knew. He knew it so well. It was etched into his soul. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't just an inconvenience. It was literally ripping his son's life apart and the father's life too. And so he does what any good father would do is he started looking for an answer, and it led him to Jesus' disciples, and this is where Jesus enters the picture, a little backstory to, to know where Jesus is coming from, is Jesus wasn't with the disciples when the Father and the son arrived. He wasn't there. It's like showing up to hear pastor preach and the assistant pastor's preaching. <laughs> Hopefully I have better luck than the disciples had today. <laughs> They show up and Jesus isn't there. Because here's where Jesus is. As Mark 9 begins to detail that uh, how he went up into the mountain to pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him into the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was transfigured there in front of them. The Bible tells us that his clothes became radiant white. And he's, he's there in a, a cloud descends. And, and Moses and Elijah... Uh, uh, In some kind of spiritual manifestation show up and they're talking with Jesus and and Peter, James and John had been asleep and and they wake up and they're they're looking and they see Jesus and they see Moses and and they see Elijah and this cloud descends and a voice booms out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Quiet a moment. It's a parallel passage. There's a connection to Moses' experience in the book of Exodus. Um, Moses went up into the mountain to meet God. And God appeared and spoke to Moses there face to face. And uh, uh, we, we find that Moses saw his glory. God showed him his glory there and gave him the Ten Commandments, gave him revelation and the word there. And what was happening is God was authoring the old covenant through Moses. He was authoring the way by which man would approach him through the life and the ministry of Moses. And Moses was up there meeting with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And, and God told Moses, stand beside me and I will cover you. And I'll make my glory to pass over you. And I'll show you all of my history. And I'll show you all of your future. I'm going to s- reveal some stuff to you about what it's like to be in covenant with me. God is authoring the old covenant through Moses. And When he comes down, his face had to be covered. He wore a veil over his face because the glory was on him so strongly... That the people could not look upon his face. His face was glowing and radiant. And so he put a veil over the glory that was reflecting from his life. And, and scripture is trying to show us that Jesus has a parallel moment with Moses. as Jesus is the author of the new covenant. When Jesus meets in the mountaintop, in the presence of God with Moses and with Elijah, God isn't just doing a cool trick of making his clothes wider than any man could bleach them. He's not just doing a neat thing, but he is showing us that he is authoring the new covenant through the life and through the humanity of Jesus Christ, that he is building a new and a better way, a new and a better covenant. And Jesus is the author of that newer and better covenant. When Moses came down from the mountain, he found chaos. Perhaps you know the story. Moses comes down. He's got these awesome new tablets. You know, God's etched with his finger the Ten Commandments into them. He arrives and he sees chaos in the camp. And Moses uh, sees that Israel and Aaron had lost their faith and turned their back on God. And they've, they've built a golden calf and they're, they're drinking and partying in pagan rituals. And, and Moses gets mad. Moses gets angry and uh, the scripture tells us that he breaks the stone tablets in two and demands that anyone who is on the Lord's side goes through the camp and takes their sword. And whether it's brother or whether it's cousin, whether it's friend or whether it's foe, that anybody who's not on the Lord's side has to be taken out. Things escalated quickly. And. So they did it. 3,000 people died that day that Moses came back from the mountaintop. 3,000 people die after the authorship of that covenant. But when Jesus comes down from the mountain, something different happens. We read in our text that he comes down and he finds chaos in the camp. He finds faithlessness in the camp. He finds that there is a need that can't be met in the camp. And and, and they don't know what to do about it. They've tried all the stuff that they know. But Jesus doesn't bring death because his... Covenant doesn't bring death. Now, the scripture tells us that the old covenant was a covenant that brought death. That because the law reigned over man, man was sinful and the wages of sin is death. The old covenant, it was a covenant that brought death. But the new covenant doesn't bring death. The new covenant brings life. And so when Jesus comes down, he's not coming to judge, he's not coming to curse, and he's not coming to kill. He's coming to bring life. And he finds that they have no faith. But he doesn't kill them. He shows them that what they really need is faith in that generation. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and says, what is going on here? And that's when the father, who must have been standing by watching the fight unfold, spoke up. And and he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, and your disciples could not heal him. I brought my son to you. I brought my son to you, Jesus, and, and your disciples couldn't do anything with him. Here's what I want to say. No, you didn't. You didn't bring your son to him. He said, I brought my son to you, but did you really, though? Did you really bring your son to him? You see, you thought you brought him to me. But you really did it. I'm sure Jesus would have said, you brought him to my disciples. You didn't bring him to me. You brought him to church. And sometimes we think we brought our problem to God. We didn't bring it to God. We just brought it to church with us. We didn't bring it to God. We brought it to somebody else we thought might know God for us. We brought it to somebody else we thought could pray better than we could pray. We brought it to someone else that we thought maybe had a little better connection with God than we do. And Jesus says, no, you didn't bring him to me. You thought you brought it to me. But did you really bring it to me? Somebody hear me. We're going to preach here at the end. I know I'm going slow, but we're going to preach here at the end. Did you, did you really, you thought you prayed about it. But maybe, just maybe you really were just worrying and complaining about it. You thought you prayed, but maybe you were so filled with doubt that you thought God would never answer. But you told Him about it anyways. Did you really bring it to Jesus? The Father had come looking for Jesus, but He had settled for the disciples instead. And listen, I love church. I love worship. But don't you leave here thinking that being here with us is the same thing as being here with Him. Don't leave here thinking that bringing it in the house is going to take care of the issue because this house is all about one person and it's not the guy in the pulpit. It's not the guy on the praise team. It's about the Savior who is the author of a new and a better way. It's about Jesus. Somebody say, bring it to Jesus. If you came here because a need is being felt in your life, you need to bring it to Jesus. I'm not just talking about putting it on a list. I'm talking about personally and individually engaging with the creator of eternity about what's going on in your life. I'm talking about responding to God in a personal way. My goodness. I'll be honest. I didn't think that was going to preach that good. But somebody hear what the spirit is saying. Because you need to bring it to Jesus. You've been trying all the religious ritualistic stuff that religious people do, but understand this: Christianity is powerless without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't just need people that know Him in your life; you need Him in your life. You don't just need to come to church, disengage, hoping that what they got will spill over on you. No, you need to touch heaven for yourself. My. No, did did you really bring him to me? And Jesus answered them. He says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He sees the father is frustrated because his need is not being met. He sees the disciples are exasperated because the enemies of the faith, the scribes are saying, your Christianity doesn't work. Where's your Jesus now? And they're arguing and bickering and fighting and... And it's devolved what was supposed to be a moment to help a very real need turned into something entirely different. And Jesus, to be frank, is sick and tired of it. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long, how long do I have to be here? You know what he's saying? He knew his future. He was saying, give me the cross instead of this. <laughs> how long are you going to leave me here dealing with these faithless people? And he says, how long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me bring the need to me Jesus was frustrated By the faithlessness and the fighting But he didn't go all oh, Moses on him He didn't kill him He didn't command their killing He said bring the boy bring the need to me Bring it to me I am the answer I am what you really need You've been worrying you've been fighting You've been fretting about it but now I want you to bring it to me For real this time Not just the church this time Not just the church people this time not just to somebody else that knows. God, bring it to me right now. Oh, Hear this. God is not intimidated by our need. He isn't avoiding our need. He wants to meet our need. And He can't meet your need unless you bring it to Him. And listen, they're smart. Because, let's look at what the next verse says. And they brought the boy to Him. Like, okay, God, we get it. We get it. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground, rolling about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Listen to the words of the Father. He says, it's cast them into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. He doesn't go for the big ask. He doesn't say, God, will you take care of this? God, will you meet this need? He says, if there's anything that you can do, you, you nice people, you non-confrontational people know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you don't really ask for what you really need. You say, if there's anything that you can do, because, like, you know, we're friends. I don't want to ask too much. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody real in the house? What you really needed was a lot more than what you asked for. And so he says, if there's anything that you can do, Have compassion on it. If there's anything, that would be great, God. The man was begging for scraps from the one who had the answer to his need. Anything will do. Just do something, Jesus. Just do something in my life. He's willing to take whatever relief. God, if there's some pill that you know or some herb that you try, anything will do. I mean, what if Jesus had just said, okay, here's what I can do for you. Try not to think about it. Go and be blessed. Try not to worry about it. Anybody ever got advice like that? You came for a problem? With, I'm going to tell all my, my grandpa. We were training horses when, a, when I was a teenager. We had this horse that would only, only turn right. You turn him left, he would buck. And Papaw knew how to train horses. So one time I asked him, I said, hey, Papaw, like you've trained a lot of horses. How can I get him to turn left? He says, what you want to do, he said, you just keep turning right until he gets left and just Go. I said, thanks. <laughs> That'll work, but it's not what I asked for. <laughs> anything will do, right? God, it may not be what I wanted, but do, just do anything. Even the dogs eat from the scraps from the master. Table. Oh, just anything will do. And that's how we approach God. God, if there's anything out there that you can do for me, what if God gives you anything and then you still have to live with your need? No, he said, Jesus wasn't having it. Jesus Jesus is not an anything kind of Savior. Let me just put it this way. He's not an anything kind of Savior. It's funny how our words reveal our heart because His words revealed His doubt. He had tried and failed to fix it, the need many times before. And at this point, He felt that anything would help. And Jesus said, listen, if you can believe... All things are possible to him that believes. All things, not just anything, all things, everything that you need, you can find it if you can find faith. Everything that you need, not just a portion, not just a partial blessing. But I can heal your son, and I can give you everything that you need if you'll put your faith, hope, and trust in me. What the father didn't know is that Jesus didn't want to just do anything. He wanted to do all things. Jesus wanted to do more than meet the need that he knew. He wanted to meet the need that was beneath the need too. He wanted to meet the need that was down up under the other need. The one that he didn't really know all that much about. You see, the boy and his demon was the need that he knew. He knew. But there was a greater need that was beneath the need. His unbelief was the need beneath the need. Because his unbelief was the reason that the other need still existed. His unbelief was the reason the other need had not yet been taken care of. Why? Because Jesus said, oh, faithless generation. He came back and the reason the boy wasn't healed is because they had no faith. And there was a need, somebody say, beneath the other need. There was a need beneath it. And it wasn't, it was the very reason that his other need hadn't been met. You see, we see surface issues, but God sees the source issues. God tells Samuel, when he's choosing the next king, he says, man looks upon the outward things, but it's God that looks upon the heart. In other words, man sees the symptoms, but God sees the source. Man sees what eyes can see, what ears can hear, what mouths can say, but God knows what the real need is down underneath the need. And the need that he knew was what brought him to Jesus. But Jesus didn't just want to deal with that need, he wanted to deal with the down there, too. I know I'm preaching today. Man sees the surface. Man sees the sickness, the sin, the struggle. But God knows what the need is beneath the need. God knows what we really need. God knows what we... Really need. You see, I came to church because my marriage needed to be healed. But God understood that there was some deeper stuff that was giving life to the problem and the need that you knew. And God is not satisfied to just fix the symptoms and send you off to melt down again. He says, no, I want, I, I want to save you completely. I don't want to just do anything. I want to do all things. And all things are possible if I can meet the need beneath the need. Martha, he said, one thing you lack. She's serving in the house, but she's bitter at her sister. She's serving in the kingdom of God, but she's bitter at her sister. And she comes to Jesus and he says, Carest thou not that, that, that uh, Mary isn't helping me with all of the dishes and the cleaning and the, the host and hostessing? Carest thou not? Don't you care about this, Jesus? And Jesus says, Oh, Martha, Martha, you think you need some help in the house but that's not what you need. One thing that you lack, and it's not another housekeeper. One thing that you lack, and Mary has chosen that better part, for she has chosen to come and worship at my feet. Jesus, he sees her need. He understands what she wants and what drove her to come. He understands why she came to him, but he doesn't want to deal with that need. He wants to deal with the need beneath the need that you can get lost in work and lose your worship. And so he says, Mary, I I'm not satisfied to leave you like you are. I want to meet both needs. The rich young ruler, what shall I do to inherit life? And Jesus says, what do you think? He says, well, keep the commandments from the, you know, keep the commandments. And Jesus said, thou hast well said. Keep the commandments. Do that. Yeah, that's good. And he said, well, I've done that. You know, he was looking for affirmation. He wasn't looking for a real answer. He was looking for Jesus to be on record saying he was going to heaven. (laughs) And he thought he needed outward affirmation of Jesus And public recognition of his religious devotion And he says, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, I've done these from my youth up And he thought he needed an answer from Jesus but Jesus said, there's something that you're lacking, one thing that you lack, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. Go and sell everything that you've got and, and give it to the poor and come and follow me. You see, he thought he needed an answer to a spiritual question, but what he really needed was to fall out of love with his stuff and to fall in love with Jesus enough that the stuff didn't matter anymore. Hear me today, Jesus is interested not just in the need that you came with, not the need that brought you here Not the need that drove you to meet Jesus. He wants to deal with the need That is beneath the need In Elisha 2 Kings chapter 2 uh, uh, Elisha goes uh, And he's coming down From after he receives the mantle And he's coming down to the city of Jericho And the school of prophets is there and, and, and the prophets run out to meet him And they see that he's wearing the, the mantle Of the prophet and They say to him, okay, this guy, he's got miracle power now. He's got the prophetic mantle on his life. And you know what they say to him? They say, hey, listen, the city is pleasant where we're at. 2 Kings 2.19, if you want to pull it up, you can. He said, the city is pleasant and the land is fruitful, but the water here is bad. And we can't drink it. The water is bad and the land is unfruitful because of it. the city's pleasant, but we've got a problem that we need you to meet is we can't grow fruit and the water isn't too good here. We can relate here in Monroe. Greater Washtenaw was messing things up. And they said, we need a prophet of God to fix the problem. And you know what God speaks to Elisha to do? He said, bring me a pitcher of water and salt. And they bring him a pitcher of water and salt. And he takes it. And you know what he does? He doesn't go to where the need's at. The Bible says that he goes and he climbs up this mountain. And he finds the spring where the waters start from. And he throws the salt in the spring of water coming up out of the ground. And the scripture tells us that the waters... Are cured down, way down there in Jericho because the salt was put at the source in the spring. You see, the the prophet knew that if if I go to the source of the issue, if I get down to the heart of the need, if I get down underneath what they think they need, I can begin to deal with what they really need. And God can fix the issues in your life, but that isn't what he really wants to do today. He wants to fix the need that's underneath the need. Our praise team is going to come in here in just a moment. I want our musicians to prepare. I'm I'm going to close in just a couple minutes. But Jesus tells us that it's not the things that are from without a man that defile him. It's not the things that are without a man that defile him. The Pharisees are arguing about hand-washing rituals. And they're judging the spirituality of Jesus' disciples based on whether they wash their hands before they eat. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, it's not the things that are from without a man that defile him. He says, the things that are from without a man, he said, they they come into the body and they're cast out in the draught. He says, the things that really defile a man are the things that come from within a man. It's the stuff that's down deeper. And we like to play around with surface issues focus on surface needs, but God says, I know what you really, really need. I know what you really need. And Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible. Somebody say all things. All things are possible if you can believe. You see, I've always believed that the father's statement was a contradiction. I believe not. I believe that he was saying, I believe what you're saying, Jesus. I think it was a moment of realization and revelation for him when he realized that he brought his son to be healed. And he says, I believe what I really need, what I really need is for you to restore my faith in you and to restore my hope and to restore my belief. I believe. And so He says, help, help my unbelief. I've always believed that it was a contradiction. I believe that it was the purest moment where he brought his second need to Jesus. Because he now saw the deeper need. And watch what happens next. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebukes the unclean spirit. He says, you mute and deaf I command you to come out of him and never to enter him again. And the devil cries and convulses terribly and it comes out and the boy is laying like a corpse. They think he's dead, but Jesus takes him by the hand and he lifts him up. He lifts him up and then he arose. And Jesus met two needs with one answer. It wasn't that he just wanted to do All things for that hurting family. But first, he had to deal with the real need. I want us to stand together. So, so you came with a need today. I just want to do this right quick, right quick. If you have a need in your life, I just want you to lift up your hands all across this room, whether it's for sickness, for finances, for healing for relationships, whatever the need is, just keep that hand in the air. You came with a need. But God wants to deal with the deeper need that you have today. Maybe the real need is that you've lost your faith. Maybe the real need is that you've lost hope. Maybe the real need is that you lost your peace. Maybe the real need is that you've lost your way and you've fallen in love with the world and with the wrong things. Maybe you've been overcome by the question marks in your life. But today you can bring him your need because he really wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you even are asking for or are thinking about. You came with a need that was pressing your life. But God says, I've got exceedingly and abundantly above what you could ask or think. Well, today you can bring him your need, but he really, he really wants to deal that hand one more time If you have that need Here's what we're going to do We're going to have our worship team Sing one final worship song And I'm going to open these altars We want you to come to the altar And respond to the word If you lifted your hand Bring your knee to Jesus Don't just bring it to church Bring it to Jesus Bring it to Jesus It to Jesus. You can go ahead and begin to come because whatever your need is, we want to pray. Even if it's not something I've touched on in this sermon, even if it's just a job need, whatever the need is, if you have a need in the house, I want you to come because God wants to meet your need and He wants to meet the need. That is beneath the need Come on let's pray Father right now In this house I pray that faith would rise God that as they come God that you would begin to reveal to their heart The real issue The real need The real thing that you want to do God God reveal to them the inner work That you got that you want to do God Reveal to them the inner issue That you want to touch today God And come and be the God of our whole life Our whole heart Our whole soul Our whole mind our whole strength. Come on. Would you lift your hands and worship all across this building. Come on. Service is not dismissed. This is a time of worship where God is going to meet some needs. Father, oh, come down right now. Come on. He came to give you life. He came to give you hope. He came to meet the needs and the needs that are beneath the needs. He came here for you today because He loves you. Because He desires to help you in your time of need.